Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to today's show. Blockchain and gaming sees a big influx of money despite crypto winter. We'll do a deep dive into that world with Sasha Fleischman from Arca. He will join us live. I'm Ash Bennington. Elaine Lee is here with me. Elaine, how are you? Ah, uh, you know, Ash, it's Monday. Temperatures are dropping a little bit, but I'm here for sweater weather to brace through crypto winter sweater weather before we get going we want everyone to know that today's show is dedicated to one of our real vision subscribers his name is bill stowe and the reason why he's been picked out is because a few weeks ago we rebooted the essential tier on real vision with new content and a massive discount to just 99 dollars per year we were pretty pleased with this but bill wrote to us to let us know his thoughts he said he was a premium subscriber and asked why he wasn't getting a discount too and you know what we thought about it and he was right so from today we're reducing the price of the plus tier to just four hundred dollars a year and the pro tier to two thousand five hundred ninety nine dollars these discounts are only available for the next two weeks offer ends october 31st and it's all thanks to bill we always appreciate the feedback from our real vision community now back to the show and to the latest price action despite significant swings on thursday and friday bitcoin remains pretty much flat on a trailing seven-day basis it's up today trading around 19,500. coindesk reports that the bitcoin network saw an 85-minute break between mining two blocks today the gap is usually more like 10 minutes it means thousands of transactions were stuck for more than one hour. However, some analysts point out that the gap was not entirely unexpected since there's variability in the time it takes for transaction finality. Taj Drya, founder of the Lightning Network, stating in a tweet, lags of this duration can occur roughly every 34 days or so. Elaine, how's Ethereum doing today? It's notching a higher percentage gain on a 24-hour basis than Bitcoin. It's trading firmly above 1300 One other token that we're looking at today, though, is Polkadot. The Layer Zero protocol has seen a record number of contributions in September. Cointelegraph is citing data from GitHub. It says the 500 developers' contributions uh, it saw each day last month was an all-time high for Polkadot Ash. Elaine, it may be crypto sweater weather out there, but funding for metaverse projects and game and blockchain games remains robust. According to a new report from DAP Radar, some $1.3 billion flowed into the space in the third quarter. That's a significant fall from the $3.1 billion recorded in Q2 of this year, but the total figures for this year show significant growth compared to 2021. Elaine, what do you make of this report during crypto sweater weather? <laughs> Well, despite all the doom and gloom when we hear about Web3 recently, right? Look, the discords are a little bit quieter. The streams of messages and group channels are a little bit slower. But it seems that the money stream is still flowing in. Dapradar says games continue to be the driving force. Now, in Q3, gaming accounting for half of all blockchain apps. 
activity tracked by DAP radar across 50 different networks. The company estimated the number of UAWs, that is unique active wallets, is interacting with game smart contracts. Lots of that wallet activity there. That's more than 900,000 just in September. DAP radar says Alien Worlds and Splinterlands are two of the most popular Web3 games. I myself am playing with a game called Sweat uh, Game, I think. Um, so I'm trying uh, uh, that one out for a little bit. But gaming's popularity is also filtering into the world of NFTs. The Gods Unchained collection, based on pay-to-earn game, was in the top five collections by trading volume in September, generating over 18 billion dollars in gaming assets. Look, all in all, the numbers are solid. September's figures of $156 million was the lowest all year. So there is a slowdown, but the total figure year to date is already at $7 billion. It was just $4 billion in 2021. Thanks, Elaine. Here are some other stories we're following today. Reuters is reporting that U.S. SEC Chair Gary Gensler is calling for more powers for another regulator. Uh, Chief Gensler wants the Commodities Futures Trading Commission to be granted authority by Congress to regulate stable coins. Elaine, what's going on there? Yeah, Ash, a really complicated story here. But we've talked about various regulators and their responsibilities right here at Real Vision. And if you haven't checked out the show with Ari Redboard last week, I do advise you to take a little dip into that one. Chair Gensler and his SEC deal with securities, he has once again repeated that he thinks the vast majorities of cryptocurrencies fall under his authority. That includes so-called algorithmic stable coins. However, when it comes to other stable coins, Gensler thinks that's the CFTC's purview. He compared them to money market funds and argued stable coins need to be regulated accordingly. Gensler says that while the CFTC has anti-fraud and anti-manipulation authority over firms that issue dollar-backed stable coins. They cannot write new rules around the exchanges. He wants to see that change, Dash. Yeah, Elaine, you know, this is something that I've been talking about for some time, that stable coins are one of the sort of critical choke points uh, that governments are going to use uh, to try and regulate the space. I think what's interesting to me about this uh, is the fact that it is uh, coming uh, from perhaps a, a regulator uh, that one might not expect, CFTC particularly, uh, as the chair of the SEC uh, seems to be advocating uh, for that regulation. But this is really a space that I think uh, everybody who's serious about following the legal, regulatory, and compliance aspect of what's happening in crypto has seen coming uh, for some some time. Now, a quick update on a story we brought you last week. Solana-based DeFi network Mango uh, had lost more than $110 million through a security exploit. Now, Mango says $67 million worth of crypto assets uh, have been returned. It wants the DAO uh, to vote on how those funds should be deployed. That's not all. In a surprise tweet, trader Abraham Eisenberg uh, said, quote, uh, this is on Twitter, uh, quote, I was involved with a team that operated a highly profitable trading strategy last week. I believe all of our actions were legal open market actions using the protocol as designed. If the development team did not fully anticipate all the consequences of setting parameters the way they are, close quote. Uh, he added, no users will lose their funds. We will keep an eye on this story. Uh, and finally, our last story of the day, uh, before we begin the interview with Sasha, Magic Eden, the biggest Solana-based NFT marketplace, has announced it will no longer enforce royalties uh, to pay royalties to the original artist. This is after competitors made similar moves. Elaine, what's the reaction from the community? 
Ash, I can't speak for the whole community, but this is a big story. Look, you can imagine lots of color, lots of reaction. It's not going down well on crypto Twitter at all. Look, when you purchase an NFT, a small fee goes back to the creator every single time a transaction is being made or a purchase is being made. It's sort of what helped many um content creators and artists get into the space in the first place. So Magic Eden says the decisions comes after, and I quote, some difficult reflection and discussions with many creators. It said that it hopes the decision will be temporary. It also said that the market has been shifting towards optional royalties. Magic Eden says royalties are currently not enforceable on a protocol level. Now optional royalties will now be at the discretion of the buyer. Now, if you look uh, upon the Twitter drama, Beeple is one of the most prominent NFT artists in the space. You know, he is someone who regularly is on uh, Jimmy Fallon talking about his pieces of art and NFT, actually pushing NFTs onto the mainstream media. But he said, he has come out and said, even he is not a fan, but maybe it would be better for the industry in the long run. But Ash, look, this is the conversation that will continue and stay tuned for the interview that we have coming up because this is what we're going to be doing discuss right there. You know, that's right, Elena. It's it's so well said and so well framed. You know, th this is a, a really fascinating story and it's absolutely core and critical to the entire industry. I had a conversation a couple of months ago with a VC uh, here in New York at dinner and we talked about this, just gaming out the potential uh, implications of uh, removing royalties and what happens when the marketplaces begin to strip out the ability to enforce that. I think the reality is there's potential counter move here from the communities uh, that could sort of mandate that the uh, their particular NFTs only get exchanged on their own platform. So I think there is a way uh, for this to be like for there be a kind of a, a, a counter fire from the other side on this. I think uh, the one thing that we can say about this story for certain, perhaps the only thing is it's very early on. It's just the beginning. And I'm sure there's going to be more back and forth on this. So let's bring our guest in, Sasha Fleischman, Portfolio Manager at Arca, specializing in NFT projects and blockchain gaming. Sasha, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's great to have you here. Elaine, take it away. I'll be back at the end for key takeaways. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you, Ash. Sasha, look, you are a portfolio manager, particularly in niche areas within the digital asset space. Tell us where there is appetite for investors in this current market and why professional investors should still be keen uh, with NFTs. Yeah, currently there is a big flight to liquidity and to what people consider safe assets, both in this space at large and other markets. And as such, you know, Starting from about May, you saw a real fall off in volumes in the NFT industry, whether it be liquid, uh, primary market, secondary market, even venture. Um, that has since come in. As you noted, in the gaming sector, there is still involvement, there is still demand. Um, you are starting to see the private valuations come to a point where venture is getting involved again. Uh, it, it's reached more of a parity. You're also starting to see new projects come out with new initiatives, uh, roadmaps. I think that the next generation of NFTs will be more focused on utility and financial aspects, more appealing to the investor as opposed to the collector. 
I think that's going to be a natural iteration of this space. Uh, we, we've had the first real, like, large-scale um, cycle of NFTs at this point. And from there, we've learned a lot of things, right? It's, it's testing in, pro in progress. Um, we're learning that royalties are a very important, um, you know, sticking point for a lot of people. We've also learned that, you know, roadmaps and announcements and announcements of announcements are much different than actual you know, follow through utility and knock on effects. So I think there is going to be a, a push towards optimizing your assets as gateways into your economies. And that's where we're focusing. That's where we think the space will focus. All right. So it's also utility, 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 and possibly, of course, into the entry of a tokenized economy. Um, so, Sasha, I actually went onto the ARCA website and I caught a little bit of your webinar talking about the use cases of NS, uh, NFTs. Explain the full potential of how NFTs can unlock that, you know, how NFTs can unlock the, the next version of the internet and that this is the new model of ownership is here to stay. I mean, I assume this is a regular conversation that you have to have with your investors. Actually, one point that I picked up in particular is when you said um, something I compare NFTs to the likes of a Trojan horse. If you can expand on that for me, that'll be great. Yeah, so we can start with the with the Trojan horse. Um, a lot of a lot of non crypto centric people that either found digital assets to be too confusing, um, too you know muddled in depth, or just too rife with you know concepts that they don't understand. NFTs are much simpler, right? The value proposition of of you know an NFT can be as simple as it's just art. It's just something you look at, something you value based on scarcity. It, and or you can parallel it to existing markets like sneakerhead markets, uh, physical collectibles like sports cars, memorabilia. It was a much easier hurdle for people to jump over. And at that point, um, the whole Trojan horse terminology is that you you get people in on a simplistic use case and a simplistic um, process, and from there they're exposed to the rest of the ecosystem. And you know maybe some of them will end up staying. And and that's you know how it worked for a lot of us. A lot of you know, the people in my circles outside of this space are, are traditional gamers. And when the gaming space, you know, had its boon last year, that they got involved, you know, they found it interesting. And since then, you know, now they're, you know, it doesn't always have to be investing. I, I think it's more important that they're educating themselves on the rest of the space. They're keeping in touch with what's going on. And I think that's a big difference um, as opposed to the last cycle. In terms of the 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 market movements and and how it's affecting i think it's you know again it, it all comes back to where we are in this in this space um this is a risk on asset class until proven otherwise and we are in a very risk off environment so there's there are still real things being developed here there's real money coming in real teams being built around and real products being developed but until you either see the product reach end stage or you see you know the the economy shift a little bit to allow for spending again like this is the holding pattern that we're going to be in and and i don't think that that's a bad thing i think that's something that we've all had to come to terms with no matter what market you're participating in yeah, Sasha, look, you put it into such good perspective for me that someone like you and I, who constantly is in the world of NFTs, but for people outside of sort of the crypto space, a lot of people are still trying to sort of figure out their first steps of getting an NFT. You know, when you say the word simplicity, the NFTs is the very uh, beginning part. Some people can find that still very complicated, but to us in the crypto space, that's the whole simple layer of first getting into it. Okay, so let's talk about my next question. 
I wanted to ask you, which is what are the revenue streams that come from NFTs? I know we were talking a little bit off camera. So just sort of put it into perspective. What are the revenue streams that come from NFTs and the space of Web3 and that whole ecosystem? And you can drag DeFi in there as well. But, you know, typically in gaming, I know that's a really big question, but <laughs> the floor is yours. Yeah. So I think right now it's not a proven concept. I think, you know, to, to, to first start with the fact that NFTs aren't exactly anything brand new, right? This is a this is a concept that has existed in many forms, whether it be gaming or otherwise. This is just a vehicle in which you can put things. So this isn't a new sector of an asset class. This is an asset class that has sectors within it. So we've been talking about gaming. There's, you know, a, a plethora of other subsectors that, that fit into this class. And when you talk about revenue streams, it's really open-ended. You can, you know, this is all hypothetical, but you can start to split out business lines and say, you know, restaurant A has a food business and a, an alcohol business. I only want to invest in the alcohol business. And you can start to substrate these, these uh, revenue streams into separate assets. You can call them NFTs. You can call them non-fungible assets. That's what they are. NFTs are just the wrapper that makes it digital and easily transferable. But this happens already. You can split out business lines today. In traditional companies for gaming specifically you have you know it's more of a uh, token model gamification where you start to stratify the revenue flows of the actual game and then feed it back uh through cash flow um to these um maybe non-playable nfts within the gaming ecosystem so the more money that's spent in the game either through cosmetics through um play to earn mechanics through x y and z that money through primary and secondary revenues will be flown into these assets and then the cash flow will come back to the users. And these are just very bare bones examples. You can have just about anything that produces revenue, you can have a model in which the NFTs can benefit, but that all boils back to how the NFT is structured and whether the NFT is set up to directly benefit or fail from the successes and failures of the underlying project. Sasha, now it's a space that moves so fast and it is so noisy. So professional in, uh, investors who you are in regular conversations with, what are some of the key things that they need to look out for? You know, I remember going to NFT LA. I had people coming up to me in bunny suit outfits and like, buy my picture. And I'm like, but why? <laughs> what is there for me if I buy your picture? So I think I want to ask you is, you know, have we had this sort of round where we filter out the bad actors? Yes and no. Um, there's definitely been a lot of people that jumped off the the train in the last six to twelve months, but bad actors are never going to go away. Anything that's this viral and this you know impactful on social media platforms, on day to day life, you, you see all these success stories, uh, survivorship bias of people that went from ten dollars to you know X dollars, and everyone's you know wants to be that person it's 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 always going to have bad actors because there's always a demand to try to enter this space and that's that sense you just have to be aware and i think it all comes back to education a lot of people jump into this space whether it be digital assets um nft specifically or even you know the robin hood trading you know you, you see stories of people buying options on robin hood and you know not understanding the greeks or the expertise or, or the types of option strategies and it all just circles, but like we we jump too fast into things, and I think that was something that happened over the last two to three years, where you know COVID struck, and you know people were sitting at home, there was not much to do, and then markets started going haywire, and then the collectibles market took off, both physical and digital, uh, digital assets as a whole took off, the stock market started taking off, and 
you know, we had Doge, we had GameStop, AMC, and it was just a, you know, berserker period of put your money somewhere and, you know, good things happen. And I think the whole market just needs to slow down and understand that some of us do this every day, eight to 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And going slow and learning how to say no to things is is how you protect yourself. It's not about how much you can make, it's about how much you can lose. And I think as people, you know, start to lose, which we have been recently as a space, as an industry, the, the more you start to lose, the more you realize that it, it's not about the upside in this type of market. It's about protecting yourself and, and being smart of where you're allocating. Ask more questions. So, no, of course. So Sasha, for investors, um, you know, I do think in this sort of market, we've had a chance to get a little bit of a breather. What sort of success stories do you share with investors? I think the successful stories as of the last six to 12 months are of companies building actual products, products that can be used. I, I don't find, you know, we can discuss how, you know, NFT Project X appreciated in value from Y to Z over a month period. But I don't think that is a success or a failure. I think that just market dynamics. Success either has to be repetitive and continuous or over a long duration. So, you know, I almost take issue when people, you know, refer to me as like a SME or an expert in NFTs. There's no way I can be an expert in NFTs. The whole space has only really existed for three to four years, um, two of which, you know, the, the market has realized. So it's impossible to be an expert in something that fast. Uh, what I do say is I spend a lot of time on it and then I hope to one day become an expert, but we're all learning together. So at, the, at this point in time, the success stories are that this space is still around, that funding has come in, that the big fear of this space at, at the time that I got involved was that there, the market would turn, there would be no money and the space would die because there was no, uh, everyone had to leave and get you know normal jobs. That is not the case. These are normal jobs now. There are companies that are set up. There's there's runway, there's you know burn rates. Like this is, this is a space now, it's not going away. So once we cross that hurdle, now we're looking towards what gets us from stop going down to start going up. And I think that's execution of product. No, this is great and really sobering to hear as well. Okay, so I know, um, obviously, no one is an expert in the space, right? However long we've been in it, although it feels like a thousand years already. Uh, but I know you do keep a close eye um, in the space in many hours. And of course, we have to talk about the very topical thing, which is about royalties. Okay, so I really wanted to ask you, you know, what do you make of 0% royalties and how the structure of royalty payments impacts the communities and investors? Yeah. First and foremost, this was going to happen at some point. This was an inevitability. When you have royalties on the protocols or on the platform side of two to two and a half percent, depending on the marketplace you're interacting with, and you have royalties on the project side of between five and twelve and a half percent, it makes it difficult for people to get on board with the process. You're starting off the position ten percent in the whole. Um, you don't feel aligned correctly. You feel like the, the fees are just chopping away at the value of your asset. It's it's you know, more or less unprecedented for secondary sales. You know, you can you can argue primary sales and auction houses are are high, but in, in terms of secondary sales, you know, there, there's a discussion between ownership of the asset and just you know rent harvesting on the asset um, for the creator. So this was going to happen anyway. There's going to be a battle at some point. The answer, in my opinion, is that. Fees have to come down. There will be attrition of fees. You cannot have seven and a half to ten percent forever, right? The more volume that a project does, the more primary and secondary revenue that they do, the less percentages they need to take to keep their business sustainable. 
the so that so that's clear that it's going to come down whether people like it or not. But zero percent is probably too much because at zero percent you have a disruption of alignment between the the project founders and and the ecosystem and the and the holders. If there's no direct incentive to keep the project going, then you know you start to see people you know either slack off or show interest elsewhere. Um, but there was a good point I made online the other day. I can't remember who said it, but. On the, on the flip side, as a devil's advocate, having royalties is incentivizing volatility as opposed to value accrual. And that may not also be the best idea. So, so this is a very new, again, very new space, very new debates. Um, I, I think a, a big portion of it, the pushback that Ash was talking about earlier, I think will come more so from the protocol side. I think that you're going to see a lot of projects starting to build royalties on chain. Um, uh, immutable, and if if a you know a platform doesn't want to adhere to the protocol, then they can't list the asset. So I think it's going to become yeah. much more direct as opposed to previously. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, so to literally embed it with the within the DNA of the project. Look, from what I see is, you know, just being a little bit over a year now from <laughs> buying silly NFTs. What I do see of the whole landscape is that whenever there's a big, massive problem, such as the issue of CCO and royalties, the whole sort of community, everybody here is into the whole blockchain industry, right? They're working it out and ironing it out, not as individual projects or not as individual leaders, but everyone in the space sort of picks up momentum and gets to that very issue. And that's what I find actually reassuring of the space when when there's a big issue like this, everybody needs time, okay? There's things that will shake the feathers and ruffle the feathers a lot, but everyone sort of comes together on the internet to sort of figure out what this all means. And I think that's important to highlight and definitely sort of shines a light on the power of Web3. Um, Okay, so for some people who are, you know, for some people who are listening to the conversation that you and I are talking about, it's looking so far ahead, you know, but what are some of the key things that you think needs to, to happen for mass adoption imminently within the next few months in order to sustain this sort of momentum going into 2023? Because we know we're early in the space, but, you know, what are the key things that you think will take us this momentum into the next year? Yeah, I think... I think we don't need anything to take us into the next phase. I think right now this is the next phase. We it doesn't have to be all down or all up. I think we are in a holding pattern phase where people will just build their projects. You, you've seen a, a, an immense amount of funding between Q4 of last year up until today, um, at, at either the equity level or you know like seed stage for for tokens. These people need to build their product, and if nothing happens between now and Q1, I'm personally okay with that. I'd rather nothing happen on the front end and people develop on the back end than just showing whatever we have and just trying to keep it alive. It is alive. It is going to be fine. What can bolster this space and speed up the timeline, um, at least in the gaming sector specifically, I know that's the the crux of this uh, call, is there, there's a big gap between what we working on Web3 believe 
the gaming NFT space offers and what traditional gamers see as the value prop for this space. There's a big distrust of what's happening here by traditional gamers. And I think a big step forward for the space is, is you know, whether you want to call it education or pitching or reiterating the process to better fit what they want, they are necessary and they are a vital piece of like what is going to happen here. And they may come along, you know, um, you know, kicking and screaming later, you know, as the, if it really proves itself out and the incentive models are too great, then people will come and test it. But that's why I get back to the Trojan horse uh, argument where you can take a traditional game, you know, whether it be riots, um, League of Legends or, you know, Call of Duty is coming out in what, seven days now. You take one of these traditional games, someone that's big enough to push this initiative without getting too much pushback and say, you know, none of these are in-game playables. They're all cosmetic, but we're going to backdate it to anything you've ever done in the ecosystem. So League of Legends has been out for a decade. Any skin you bought in the last decade has now become an NFT. And we don't know what they're valued at. Here's a marketplace for them, but they're not worth non-zero. And someone that spent $1,000, maybe it's now worth $300. But that's $300 that they can now extract out of the ecosystem. And so these people that are distrusting of NFTs can use it anyway because nobody's going to inherently say no to what they would consider free money. And now they start to understand the value prop of being able to own the assets in the games you play. Sasha, very quickly, one project that stuck out to you throughout this bear market. I think a ton of them have stuck out, but uh, you know, I'm still one. Very, one. I'll, I'll say Axie Infinity. I'm still very keen on Axie Infinity. I think they've had their ups and downs, but um, as a yeah. community, it, it's unlike anything I've ever seen in the gaming space. So I'm I'm looking forward to, to what they do next, and I hope that they can uh, you know write the ship. Yeah, no, of course, Axie Infinity is a friend of the show as well. All right, okay, let me bring Ash back in. Ash, did you uh, enjoy the conversation? I thought that was a fantastic conversation, really wide-ranging, incredibly informative. Let me just give you a couple of my key takeaways from this. Uh, first, there's been a flight to liquidity, a flight to quality in the NFT space. Uh, as Sasha says, this is a risk on asset until proven otherwise, and we are in a risk-off environment. Second, royalties are an important sticking point for many people in this space right now. There's kind of a Goldilocks and Three Bears uh, side aspect of this, uh, of royalties pricing perhaps were too high today, uh, but zero is probably too too low in Sasha's view. Kind of a laugher curve, I guess, for NFT royalties. Uh, third, uh, follow through with code is much more difficult than posting a roadmap. I think as Elaine put it beautifully, utility, utility, utility. I also wanted to add that I found Sasha's description of deconstructing cash flow streams fast enough. The story of the restaurant, I think it's a great metaphor, uh, how investors could invest in the bar side, but not in the restaurant side. Uh, so this idea that, you know, maybe you've got a, a great bartender, but a lousy chef, it's a great metaphor. And I think one that probably people can get their heads around when they're trying to understand uh, some of the potential for the future of the space. Obviously, there's some potential concerns there uh, for what is and is not a security. But I think it's a pretty important idea for people to understand. Uh, finally, I very much liked when uh, Sasha said, uh, these are real jobs now. That made me chuckle. Uh, Sasha, anything that you'd like to add to that? I'm just happy to happy to be working on this space. I think it's the next big frontier. Um, the same way as, you know, in 2016, I thought digital assets were the next big thing. This is part of it. They're all working together. But I think we've seen a lot of what can happen in this space in the last cycle. I think the next cycle is going to be a lot of what actually happens. And I'm excited to at least watch the sunrise on the front row of, of what happens in this space. Well said. Elaine, final thoughts, key takeaways from you. 
That's great. I'm glad I'm glad we have real jobs. But then look, I think infrastructure, real funding is coming into the space right now. The plumbing and the pipelines are being put in place. Confident um, to listen and hear about this, that this is not going anywhere uh, with blockchain and gaming. Look, interest in NFTs are low, but are there still transactions still happening on the blockchain? Are people still trading? Absolutely and hundred percent yes. Okay, time for viewer questions. First one comes to us from OX on Discord. It seems like royalties will be likely to either go away or entirely, or they may be able to continue as a matter of community values. I heard that Magic Eden was going to change from seller fees to a buyer's premium. Uh, what do you think? Boy, that's a great question. I would say that if you give an optional fee agreement to the buyer side, you, you will find a lower than projected amount of uptake on that fee market. The same way that if you make tipping optional at a, at a, at a restaurant, uh, you, you may not see everyone meet the, the pre-existing requirement of a table of six. Sasha, so, what, if it's, what if it's mandatory, though, the way that you, would, you know, when you buy art from, from uh, Sotheby's, that's just built in. It's just a question of where it gets built in uh, in terms of who actually bears the burden. I think that either way, the, the end result is the same. As, as an allocator, you want you want to feel confident getting in and getting out. So anytime that you are being put whole X percent, that is X percent that you in your head want to claw back before you consider break even. So I think yeah, in this exactly it's important to have liquidity as it is to have um, on, on the buy side as it is to have it on the sell side. So I think that the, you're just pushing, you know, the, the stuff under the carpet and it's coming out on the other side of the carpet. Yeah, very well said. Uh, here's a question that comes to us from Maximus. Uh, is more regulation from governments helpful or hurtful to the NFT market? I think regulation in general, you know, as, as much as libertarians and, you know, crypto punks don't want to uh, um, agree with it, I, I think that it's helpful for the space always. You know, this was the natural progression of things. In, in 2017 and 2018, when we were slamming the table saying institutions are coming, institutions are here, but they, they come with... Uh, <laughs> They come with requests, and and this is uh, this is you know a tone shift in how this space has operated since the early days of um, you know I say crypto punk and cypherpunk movement, uh, and this is just a shift in the dogma of what this space is. You have new entrants with new ideals, and it you know it, it's not a bad thing. It's just a progression of how this space went, and certain projects will adhere to their old principles, and I think that's actually a good thing. You'll have a split. People that are more focused on appealing to the institutions and people that are more focused on building what they believe to be crypto centric ideals. Yeah, and just picking up from that, I think it's harmful and hurtful. Um, at, I say it's hurtful and helpful at the same time because, look, as we iron all this stuff out, we want to be going for permissionless, but again, not lawless. All right, Ash, before we uh, sort of move on to the final part of the show, I heard that someone has a little story to tell me about their latest NFT that they purchased. Yes, I'm just. This is informational purposes only. I'm not chilling it, but it's kind of an interesting story. Um, so remember the service that uh, lets you uh, essentially alias your Ethereum wallet towards ENS. This is the uh, the service that basically you can take your name, for example, uh, and add a .eth at the end of it. Well, I I set up uh, my ENS to my name 
uh, sometime uh, last year, I guess. And I got these ENS tokens airdropped to me, I guess, whenever that was back in late 2021. I think I swapped about half of them into other tokens just to play around with the ETH ecosystem. And I had these tokens sitting in my wallet. Like everyone else, I was watching them go down in value. Uh, and NFT prices dropped, of course. So I thought, uh, why not scrape together all the change kind of from the couch cushions uh, in the wallet, swap them into ETH and buy an <laughs> NFT. Uh, so I went up to the OpenSea website and I was looking through some collections. Uh, you know, I've interviewed Micah Johnson, thought he was a good guy, uh, had some really interesting ideas and insight about the space. And I just loved the art. Uh, so I bought myself an Aku. I think it was about 500 bucks and, and change, about $600 even, I think, with fees, um, you know, on a piece of art that I thought was really cool. I mean, for me, it was kind of like I had free money from this ENF uh, drop. So why not buy something that I thought was cool, a piece of art? Uh, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm really glad. And I think it's kind of neat. And if you can see there on the screen, one of the things, obviously, that attracted me, as Elaine first pointed out to me, uh, well, the, good, A, yeah. the A on the shirt, right? I mean, how the can you not do this? The first initial. The yeah. ash. Ash, can I tell you, I have one of these and I went in for, I went in for one of those Akutas at two ETH. So I think you did the right thing, sir, for getting in there. Look, I know I Mike is building up. Some... I suspect you went in for two ETH when ETH was a little bit higher than it is today. Okay, let's not talk about things. So thank you. I'd like you to wrap up the show. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today. Uh, I should also thank uh, Sasha as we close out here. Terrific conversation. And thank you, uh, as always, Elaine, for joining us. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto. It's free for those of you watching on YouTube. Smash everything. The like button, the bell, subscribe. Today, we'll hear it from Jean-Marie Magnetti, the CEO of CoinShares. See you live tomorrow at 12 p.m. live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Have a great day, everybody. Oh.